do a little bit of review here from the last couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, here in chapter 1, um, we talked about the philosophy of unrighteousness. And Paul lays this out. He says, hey, when you look at the world around you, this is what you see. You see people and they're in this place where they reject truth. And when they reject the truth, they reject evidence. And when they reject evidence, they're ultimately going to reject God, the creator of the universe. And when they do that, there leaves a void and they start to embrace idols in their life. Those are the steps. We see these today around us in our culture, don't we? But then it goes on. Once you've done this, there's this void created in your life. And sin moves in, and so there's a staircase of sin that descends down, and we see this in the world around us as well. We see it starts with sin in the heart, and that sin grows into sinful passions, and those passions make us calloused to the truth, and ultimately we end up in spiritual bondage. See, I think Paul is kind of saying, he's like, look, see the world, see the culture around you, it's broken, it's messed up. People have pushed God out of their lives. And what's come in has been immoral and evil. And it's getting worse and worse. And people are not just committing sin personally. They are supporting and encouraging and demanding rights for it. And that's what I think he's saying. And we can go, yeah, 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 I agree, Paul. I agree. It's bad out there. Those bad sinners are making this world a terrible place. And they're ruining our country. And that's maybe our tendency. And then Paul drops the hammer on us here in chapter 2. Let's read it. You can follow along. I've got it on the screen as well. He says, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. And so I think what Paul is saying here is, he's saying, don't think you're righteous. Don't think you're righteous because you aren't a quote-unquote sinner like the people around you. Because you're a sinner just like the people around you. And so he starts here with this concept of passing judgment. He says, don't judge. And that sounds a lot like, judge not. That's a popular refrain in our culture, isn't it? Don't judge... Judge not. 
don't be judging. Don't be judging. <laughs> and we see this thrown at Christians all the time, don't we? Oh, you Christians, don't judge, you Christians. Don't judge. I just had to put this in here because that's one of my favorite movies ever. If you've never seen Nacho Libre, you probably don't understand this, but if you have, and this is a guy, he's talking to a Christian, he says, I don't know why you always have to be judging me, because I only believe in science. (laughs) Judging. You Christians are judging. It's funny, but there's a basis in this general perception that Christians are always going around saying how much better they are than everyone else. They're such hypocrites because Jesus said, judge not. Well, let's get to the bottom of this perception. What did Jesus say about judging? What did he say? Well, the passage, the verse that is constantly quoted and thrown at us, right, is Matthew 7, 1. Judge not that you be not judged. Jesus said that. This is what I would call the social media silencer. If a Christian says something that... If the Christian goes and says, this thing is wrong, just say, Jesus said, judge not. End of conversation. Right? What's the main problem with this? This statement itself is pronouncing judgment upon Christians. Jesus said not to judge. You shouldn't judge is a judgment. I judge you for judging. The only value worth passing judgment upon is whether you judge somebody. What? Doesn't make sense. It's illogical. So let's look at what maybe Jesus really was saying. And I think we could start with what maybe Jesus was not saying. First thing, I think Jesus was not precluding the concept of discernment. What is discernment? Discernment could be defined as an ability to perceive with understanding. To have understanding about something. Perceive with understanding. Jesus isn't saying, don't, don't have not discernment, right? There, just a few verses later, in the same sermon, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs. And then he says, Beware of false prophets. You will recognize them by their fruits. He's saying, be discerning. Jesus is clearly saying that. Have an understanding about what is going on. That's part of what he means by judging. Jesus is also not telling us to avoid identifying sin. What does identify mean? It means to establish what something is. To establish what sin We're going to establish what sin is. You know, we're never given a scriptural model to ignore sin. We're never told in the scriptures, hey, just ignore sin. We're never told that. We see right there in Mark chapter 6, John the Baptist, he spoke truth to power. He said to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. He spoke truth to power. He identified sin and he was commended for it. Jesus is also not excluding human justice. Judge not doesn't mean we shouldn't have judges or a justice system. We see in chapter 2 of the book of Judges, the Lord raised up judges for them. The Lord was with the judge. God clearly is interested in human justice and laws. 
Justice is the administration of law and authority. God himself set up a system of administering laws. So Jesus clearly wasn't saying, when he says judge not, he didn't mean any of those things. So, what is he saying? He's saying judge correctly. Judge correctly. John seven twenty four. Jesus himself says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Now, this might seem like a no-brainer. Yeah, judge correctly. Don't judge incorrectly. We sort of need this reminder because there is a weight, there is a responsibility for being right. There is a care that must be exercised. It is serious business. we got to be correct when we judge. Jesus also says, judge after investigating the facts. Proverbs 18, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Now again, this might seem kind of like common sense, But the social media age is defined, isn't it, by jumping to conclusions without hearing the facts. That's the world we live in. There's a variety of reasons for that. Jesus also says, judge with gentleness. Titus 3. Be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. In my house, we have a two-year-old, and she's very sweet. And we've had to teach her the concept of gentle, right? Two-year-olds don't really understand. They just, like, want to hit things. And so we say to her, okay, Evie, gentle. And then, like, she, like, touches your face really gentle. She says, gentle? Gentle? That's how we're supposed to judge. Gentle? <laughs> that's, God, that's his call to us. If we're going to be harsh in our judging, that's not what Jesus would have us do. We need to be gentle. Make our judgments with gentleness. He also says we should judge with truth and love in Ephesians 4. Speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into Christ. See, here we're supposed to, we're, we're called to hold on to the truth. And yet, we're also called to love, to love, to love. There is the truth, and we must love. Our errors so often are caused from letting go of one or letting go of the other. Jesus calls us to judge with truth and love. And he also calls us to judge without hypocrisy. Judge with no hypocrisy. And that brings us back to Romans 2. In passing judgment on another, you condemn yourselves because why? You practice the same things. We can be hypocrites in our judging, and Jesus calls us to not be hypocrites. We need to have a right understanding of what Paul means when he says, don't judge sinners. See, our tendency is to judge not, as Christ commands. So Paul says there in Romans 2, verse 1, In passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you practice the very same things. So what's Paul talking about? Paul's talking about what I would deem the religious way of judging. The religious way of judging. What do I mean by that? Religion, we've talked about this before, and I understand you can define religion a bunch of different ways, but we define religion as my attempts to get to God, right? God is up here, and I'm down here, and i got to get up the ladder to God. So the religious way of judging is a way of thinking that tries to elevate me 
to get to God. God is up. I'm down. Surely there's some way I can get closer to Him. And if I can get closer to Him, then I'm going to get to heaven. I'm going to be good. I can have a relationship with Him, right? And see, sometimes we, we struggle with that because we go, Ah! I just want to be better with, I want to be closer to God. And we see that in the world around us, don't we? When we do outreach and we do evangelism and we try to share the gospel with people, we often ask a diagnostic, a couple diagnostic questions. And one of those questions we ask, I think it's a really good question, we can ask ourselves the same question, is if you died and you had to stand before God and God said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say to him? I have found most people, most people, who are not Christians, who have not received the free gift of salvation, will say something to the effect of, because I'm a good person. Because I'm a good person. Well, what does that mean? Good on whose standard? What they're really saying is, I'm better than other people. And so that's a problem. Because the downside of religiously judging others is it makes me treat others not with love, but with disdain. I need to be above you, and you need to be below me, because then I can be closer to God. That's what religious judging does. And we can do this in so many ways. We can do that in big ways, and we can do that in small ways. I think about when I was a sort of a high school, college student, I was really into what we might deem Christian music. I like worked at a record store that sold Christian music, and I was like really into it. I went to lots of concerts. I was super excited about it. But nothing wrong with that. The problem was that I used that to look down on others, Christians, and so forth. Say, well, what's wrong with you? I'm better than you. I'm closer to God than you because I listen to Christian music. I mean, my roommate in college, he he had a couple of Sting albums and a couple of U2 albums, and I was like, what's wrong with you, man? <laughs> I was religiously judging him. I don't do that anymore, I hope. But I would treat others with disdain. We can treat others with disdain when we judge them religiously. It also makes me think, I'm not a bad sinner. I might be a sinner, but I'm not a bad sinner. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I can get myself up the ladder and -and so-and-so's down there, right? There's always a Hitler below us when we work in this world, right? But the reality is that's not true. If I think I'm not a bad sinner, I'm going to stagnate on the path to sanctification. What do I mean by stagnate? Well, the good news offers us a chance to grow in holiness. I love it in Galatians chapter 3. Paul says, You began with the Spirit. What do you think you're going to be perfected by the flesh now? And even in this chapter, Paul says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? See, God has a plan for us when we walk into the good news, when we walk into following him. And I got these pictures here of two different kinds of water. The picture on the left, as you can imagine, a beautiful, crisp, clean mountain stream. Well, why is it clean? Well, it's kind of near the source, but it's also constantly flowing and moving, and things are changing. And the one on the right is a stagnant pool of water. And if we're going to become religious judges, and we're going to live in a religious way, 
we're going to be like that picture on the right. And so we want to avoid that, and the gospel gives us the means to avoid that. Another thing I think that's going on is that we forget that all will be judged. Judged by who? By God. God is going to judge every single one. I can go and, oh, I'm going to judge, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to try to get myself up, but ultimately, all of us are going to be judged by God. Now, we know that God is perfectly just. Isaiah 61.8, he says, I, the Lord, love justice. God is perfectly just, and you know what? This should make us happy. I hope it makes you happy that God is perfectly just. Because that means every wrong will be accounted for. Every evil will be atoned for by God. There will be justice. That is a good thing. That is a good thing. We also saw there that God is impartial. God shows no partiality, Romans 2, verse 11. He doesn't play favorites. God doesn't play favorites. Religious people aren't his favorites. He's impartial. God is impartial. No one gets a free pass for their sin just because of their religion or something else. We also know that God will welcome the righteous into heaven and cast the unrighteous into hell. And that's scary, and that's serious business. Paul says it right there, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. You're righteous, you get into heaven. He says, those who are self-seeking, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteous. There will be wrath and fury. You will spend eternity in hell. There's a little bit of comfort in this when we recognize that God is perfectly just and God is impartial and that ultimate judgment is heaven and hell. What it means is, you know what, people will sometimes say, well, is so-and-so going to be in heaven or is so-and-so going to be in hell? It's like, look, guess what? God is perfect. He's perfectly just. No one is going to be in heaven who doesn't deserve to be in heaven and no one is going to be in hell who doesn't deserve to be hell. We're not going to get there and be like, well, that guy should have been over here. This he should have been over there. God's got it covered. So we can rest in his perfection. But we can get sidetracked on this point. We can get sidetracked by thinking that righteous means doing good works. If I just do good works, that will make me righteous. And by doing that, maybe if I judge other people's works and say, my works are better than your works, and I'll be righteous. Nope, that's not what it means. Righteous means perfect. doesn't mean pretty good. I don't think any of us are even pretty good anyway. Righteous means perfect. Wow, have you ever sinned? You ever sinned just once? You ever sinned just once? You're guilty. James 2.10, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Guilty of breaking all of it. God's standard for entering his presence is perfection. Because he is perfect. We have to remember that. Sometimes, too, we also look at God's judgment collectively. But God will judge us individually. In other words, we tend to think he judges a group. Oh, he's going to judge a group of people. You know, maybe you've ever said this, you've heard other people say, sort of like, you know, well, why, are you gonna, why would you go to heaven? Oh, because I go to church. Oh, so you're part of a group. And so being in a group is going to get you into heaven. Well, God's not going to judge the group. He's going to judge you individually. 
Romans 3.23, I love this version, the message paraphrase. We've compiled this long and sorry record of sinners and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each one of us has sinned egregiously, constantly, habitually. We don't have just one sin, we have many. And God promises He's going to judge us individually. Individually. In the end, whenever it's going to work out, we're going to stand there before God, but it's going to be me and God. Not us, me. You, not us, you and God. Right? We think of, there's, there's so many shows, right, and movies we see, and there's this theme of, oh, the, the person who's the fugitive in a foreign country, if they can just get to the American embassy and get inside the American embassy, they'll escape the judgment that's due them in that country. There's not going to be a Christian embassy to run to when you face the judgment of God. There's going to be nowhere to hide. And so the point in all of this is, don't judge in a religious way. If we've looked at judging, let's go back to the passage and read it in light of that. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? The answer to that, of course, is no. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. And who's that going to be? Nobody. For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Who's that? Everybody. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. Glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. God does not show partiality. See, Paul is not saying don't ever make a judgment. He's saying don't judge in a religious way. Don't treat it like that. You can't get up the ladder closer to God. You can't. We're all sinners. Remember, Paul wrote this to the Romans. The church in Rome, there was a bunch of pagans, a bunch of Greeks, a bunch of Gentiles, and a bunch of really religious Jewish people. The tendency, which was an error for the Jews, and we see it throughout their history, was that they established a religious overlay on top of God's word. They kept adding laws and rules. In Matthew 23, Jesus called the leaders of the Jewish religion whitewashed tombs. They cleaned up their outside, but their inside was gross and yucky. 
And God warned them of this. It wasn't just Jesus showed up and he, God warned them of this. You go back to the book of Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So this is a warning that was going on throughout time and Paul is reiterating it here. And so this error, of course, is not unique to the Jews, but to all of us. We want to establish that ladder of righteousness where I get higher and others are lower and I get closer to God. I want to elevate myself by denigrating others. Paul is leading us to an understanding that contradicts this way of thinking. That's not how we're supposed to think. Because that's not how God wants us to operate. Because we understand there is none who does good, not even one. There is none who does good, not even one. The just judgment of this leads to death. Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death. Every single one of us worked. We've committed our sin. We're going to get paid. And the payment for that is death. And so Paul says, avoid religious, self-righteous judging. Avoid it. Avoid it because that's not the gospel. If I judge sinners, who am I judging? Myself. If I'm judging sinners, I'm judging myself. So if I'm a sinner like everyone else, I understand that my righteous deeds, the good things I do, oh, I can get to heaven because I'm a good person. I understand those good deeds are worthless. Heck, they're probably worse than worthless, right? If you go to Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, it says all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. You ever catch one of your kids or somebody trying to wipe the counters with a dirty rag or a dirty brush? You're like, well, that's no good. Now I actually have to clean the counter. That's what our righteous deeds are like. They're useless. They're like filthy rags. So our good deeds aren't going to get us to heaven. They're not going to get us to heaven. They're not going to get us to a right relationship with God. So what does? The answer is, is the person of Jesus Christ in his life. He lived it sinlessly. His death paid the penalty for our sins. And now, the free gift that we have is Christ's perfection. Christ says, I lived the sinless life. I died to pay the penalty. If you receive the free gift, when God looks at you, he'll see me. And then, you can enter into heaven, you can enter into a a right relationship with God. Christ's perfection can stand in the place of your imperfection. And so we've got to be careful, Christians, don't we? Judging not only doesn't get us to God, but we go back to the culture and that, oh, you know, oh, Christians are always judging. Judging turns people away from God. It turns people away from the gospel. It turns them away from the good news. We don't want to do that. We need to love sinners without religious judgment. Knocking someone else down a rung on a ladder is not preaching the good news. And so I'm going to close here this morning by taking us to what I believe is a model given by Jesus for how to judge. And it's recorded in the book of John. And I'll read it to you. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. 
Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So can you see what Jesus has done there? You see what he's done? He said, Hey, whoever has no sin, you can stone this person for sinning. Well, we all understand there's none righteous, not one. But there was one in this picture, in this story, who did have no sin. And who was that? It's Jesus. So, who had the right to stone this woman? Jesus did. But did he? He did not. He showed mercy. He showed grace. He showed love. He showed compassion. But, did he ignore justice? No. What did he say to her? He said, Go and sin no more. He said, That is sin. And go and sin no more. And see, in this, I think it's great, we go back to the things he said to do, to judge. And he follows them in this story. He judged correctly. He judged after investigating the facts of the situation with this woman. Absolutely, he was gentle. He showed gentleness. He, he judged with truth and love. He held on to both. He loved the sinner and yet said sin was sin. And of course, he judged without hypocrisy. And so that's where I'll leave it today. This week, let's choose to live. Let's choose to judge. Let's choose to love, love, love our fellow sinners around us. I'll pray and we'll close. Yeah, thank you, God, for helping us in this, Lord. And I, I confess, in my life, it's really hard. God, I... I want, to, I want to knock others down the rung so I can get closer to you. God, I thank you for this reminder from Scripture that it doesn't work. We're all sinners. The only way we're righteous is because we've received the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for that free gift. I thank you that all we have to do is receive it and invite you to be our Savior, be our Lord. Lord, help us, each one of us this week, to walk this out, to consider, how am I judging? How am I judging? Help me to be correct. Help me to investigate the facts and to be gentle. To do it with truth and love. And God, help us not to be hypocrites. Help us not to be hypocrites. Lord, thank you for your word and the truth therein. In Jesus' name. Amen.